It's July 27, 2007. It's Watt from Pedro's show.
the Watt from Pedro show. I'm doing it here, uh, Tokyo, uh, January 20th, oh, January, July 27, <laughs> 2007. Sorry, I just got done uh, recording with uh, some uh, musicians here. We have a band called Migu, and uh, did a couple tunes at a studio called Noah, and Meeting me there was my guest today, uh, Mr. Jim O'Rourke. Hello, everybody. <laughs> right, and you just picked this song we last oh, heard. Right. Uh, Sachiko Kaninobu. This is uh, kind of. Uh, oh, sorry, Sachiko Kaninobu. She was. Uh, she only made one record in like 1972, maybe. Uh, and she was sort of like the answer to Joni Mitchell. Here. here, yeah, yeah, here. But it, it's of course different. It's a fantastic record. But she Same made, but different. Yeah, and, uh, the song was uh, that was far away from you. Okay, we started off with uh, Leo by John Coltrane, alive in Japan, his last tour. I think Alvin Jones said he was holding his side on this tour. It was heavy, but he's probably playing his heart out. Uh, Mr. Jim now lives here in Tokyo, right? Um, sort of, yeah, I never, le- I rarely leave. Let's put it that way. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you got a pad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I managed to find a place. It took me about a year, but I found a place, and uh, it's complete. I mean, I never bought a place in the states. You know, I never got a permanent place in the states, really. But it's definitely a different process here than than it would be in the states. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you still got the. Uh, Visa ride, yeah, yeah, that's very difficult. It's it's easy if you if you if you have a job, I guess <laughs> it seems to be, but I don't do anything they consider to be work, so <laughs> it hasn't been that easy. Yeah. So you got to do what the three month dance? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I you know, I'm not working, so it's not really a problem. But you know, it becomes a bit troublesome after a while. Yeah. But I, in the end, it's like I, I went to Bali a few weeks ago because it, it actually was end up being a lot cheaper to go to Bali than to go back to the States or someplace else. Closer. Yeah, yeah it was closer. <laughs> and Bali's very, very... You know, Econo. Very, yeah, eco- <laughs> it was very interesting. I've never been there. I'd like to go. What I think was it you'd like? Enjoy it. Well, the food was really good. And, uh, you know... The, it's all broken. The, all the cities are not not the cities. The neighborhoods aren't actually that close together. Uh, but a lot of that kind of like people following you on the streets, trying to sell you anything they got their hands on, and you know, won't, you know that kind of scene. And people who have vans that no longer have doors or oh, yeah. or a hood, but they've decided, I guess, that it's a taxi. And <laughs> if Come you're on. if you're walking, you're fair game for their for their ride. So and they they drive you've so you've got streets filled with extremely slow moving uh near death automobiles uh, yelling at people on the streets. <laughs> on the on the board. sidewalks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I saw a car move at a regular pace ever the whole time. Do they got any uh, man powered Yes, they did. Yeah, they did. Because yeah. I saw some today in... Uh, oh, Asakusa. Asakusa. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was guys... I mean, it's pretty warm here right now. Mm. Uh, very humid. Mm. And there's guys running down the street carrying these two people oh, in the rickshaw. Or, or maybe they're not called rickshaw. Oh, what are they called? I forgot. Something was shot at the yeah. end, right? Because that means cars. Like the the bikes are called... Uh, 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 Shitensha. 
which is which means like uh, it's a ten shot. Uh, on, um, uh, by yourself making move. Um, car. Yeah, <laughs> car. Yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. By yourself. But see, I mean, it might. It's funny because now I, I I don't speak English that much anymore. You know. Yeah. So how long? A year. Um, well, you know, up until maybe six months ago, I still couldn't get through a whole day just speaking Japanese. But now I, I rarely, you know, I'm rarely speaking English. So my sentence structure is, I, I'm using like, you know, it's like you get rewired a bit. Yeah. So, uh, for instance, you know, when I said like, when I said by yourself moving car, that sounds weird, but in my head it made complete sense because that's, that's how, how you think. Yeah. yeah. I remember I, I went back to New York at one point last, right at the end of the year, and I was helping a friend record a record and, and after a take, I said, that was how. And he's like, what? I was like, the take was how. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, the take was how. And I, I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't comprehend why he was looking at me with this, you know. And then I realized I was speaking backwards. Right. <laughs> Don't care me. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> they say stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you learned it pretty rapid. Is it the Berlitz immersion? Technique? No, I, it's like my own. I just I just started on my own. It's your own immersion, yeah. But yeah. you're swimming in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, once I once I I came here for you know like on a long haul basis, then it started really because you know there's nothing else. You know what what are you gonna do? Yeah. You know you can walk Sign around. Sign language. You know you know. So <laughs> you did it, but that's commendable. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You know, all these people uh, you know, f- that live here and stuff are telling me how amazed uh, the progress you made. Uh, they're with being it. very kind. Okay. <laughs> that was nice. Well, in the studio, you were rapping with everybody real good. So that was happening. <laughs> very happy. Was you know, I was uh, very impressed. and <laughs> Because I'd probably be a stumble bum at it for years no, you'd, and years. You'd, no, you'd, you'd get it. Quick because it's it's got an amazing architecture to it the way that the language works and it's like oh. a system and it's almost like uh, putting a puzzle together because there's very specific rules it's much more it sticks to rules much more than uh, you know what it's like did you ever use one of those old like uh, modular synthesizers where you use the you, you've seen them where you use like it looks like an operating board uh, not operator, like yeah like a opera a telephone operator's board I remember the guy uh, in Ubu Ravenstein. Yeah, yeah. That's how it works. That's how it works, yeah. So it's like, for instance, if you want to do something to a verb, it's it's very set. If you want to do, if you want to, you know, articulate the verb this way, you plug this in at the end. Or if you want to do this with it, you plug this at the end. Or if you want to modify this whole phrase, you plug it into this, you know. What do you think about for writing song lyrics? So I've always yeah. wondered about Italian every word ending with vowels. When you, you, know, got what, the you know what, the, the thing you can do with Japanese, and I'm sure with Chinese as well, with, there's all sorts of stuff you can do with you know writing and lyrics, of course, too, that you can't do in English or any you know, any sort of what do they call it Roman languages. Yeah, yeah, romance. because Roman ah, romance language, because the alphabet, the, the the figures themselves have no meaning, inherent meaning. So, for instance. With because you're using kanji, the kanjis have many different sounds. You know, it's not just like this kanji is sha or this kanji is ka. It can have many, several, and it's it's regulated by, for instance, what letter or kanji it's next to. But then there's also definitions of there's meanings within the kanji themselves. So you could use you know 
you know, for instance, a word like Caillou has many, many meanings. If you just hear it, you don't actually know which Caillou it is. <laughs> so when you're reading, you can see it. It's very apparent which one it is. But then you can the combination of the kanjis have, have you has multiple opportunities for meanings. Right. But also from that, and this is something that I had to learn the hard way, because I've I've yet I've yet to see it in any sort of teaching book on Japanese is that there's words you can't that are only for reading and writing because so many words sound the same uh, there's plenty of words that you only use for speaking I mean that you know you all the words you use for speaking you can write but there's enormous amount of the words you would never say okay. because it's it sounds like another word and that word is more common so it's like the most common I'm, I'm simple simplifying it but the most common words are ones for speaking, and there's multitudes more words that you generally wouldn't say. Because of the there, there, there dilemma. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, 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 there. You know, and but they're going to the show. Right, they're in their car. Right, but but because of that, you have amazing possibilities for you know puns and wordplay because of. It's not just the sound. It's then what kanji you're using, and then the combination of the meanings of the kanji. You can do all sorts of fascinating things, and you can create words very easily that way. Well, what about the other one? Uh, the phonetic. The oh, the, the hiragana is like that's used mostly for like conjugating verbs and uh, you know connections of words because like punctuation is said. Like we, there's really no periods, commas. You actually say a comma. There's word, you know. There's words that that have those like meanings. Like the old uh, telegraphs. Yeah, it's yeah. It is like that actually. It is like that. And there's all sorts Stop. of like. Yeah, that's what des is. You know, you always hear people ah des uh, des des is stop. It's not I hear stop. Hear a lot of highs. <laughs> I just did. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the listener too to make right. sure that you're they're following along. Right. Because the context can get lost a lot quicker in, in Japanese than in English. Ah. Because they don't use pronouns as much in the Japanese language. So once a subject of a, what you're about to speak I just did it again. Whatever you're gonna talk about, once you've stated it, you drop you drop pronouns. That you don't say I or you or that thing. You don't say it continuously as much. You don't I didn't notice it as much until I started speaking Japanese how much you do it in English. It's like every fourth word is a pronoun, probably. <laughs> At least it seems to me. I think you can be precise in Japanese. It's just not the practice. You know Obviously, what I mean? they're building some pretty precise things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's completely... Ca- right, they're not just painters. <laughs> right, I mean, it's completely possible to be precise in Japanese. It's just not the manner. I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but... Where in English, because you do things like you use pronouns and constantly restate what the subject is and what the reference is, it, I think from the Japanese-speaking perspective, it's more precise. Ah, you know. okay. You know what I mean? It's yeah, kind of I a perspective thing. Saying. But it's completely possible, I think. I mean, I, I think maybe I still have a bit of that in my speaking, so I overstate things in Japanese more than I need to. <laughs> you know, but in... In a way, that's being precise in the way that maybe they are wanting. Right. But it just it seems so awkward to do that. You know? Well, we're precisely at the end of the first hour, oh, so uh, that's all up for hour two. July 27, 2007, second hour of the Watt from Pedro show. 
from Pedro show hey Jim uh, you um, pick these songs here what we hear first uh, first we kick heard, off the second hour uh, that was a English band called T2 I think also from 1972 <laughs> and they also made only one record <laughs> so, wow it's a uh, magic year yeah well I think it was actually <laughs> and uh, that was a song called JLT it was like a it was like a trio bass drums guitar Ah, power. Yeah, I, I, it's one of my favorite records. Actually. It's fantastic, and then I think I think it's available now. I think it got reissued finally. Did anybody go on to make other bands? Um, you know, I think I think maybe a member went on to like be in a band that was even less known. <laughs> you know, I think maybe him and his friend played at the bar. You know, I don't mean that in a. Uh, in a dismissive way. I mean, I think that's actually what happened, I, but although I'm not really sure. Then after that was kind of a uh, kind of a slight cult figure from France named uh, Albert Marcour, 
and he's he's the kind of guy who makes a record like once every five or eight years. You know, he works on it interminably, and and uh, that was no wine before it's time. Oh yeah, and his stuff is so immaculately put together. And that was from his, I think, from his fifth record, and that was a tune called Ballad. Ballad. I'm not going to even try to do the French with a sound. Uh, Ballad au Jean. That's fantastic record. I love it. I'm crazy about that record. And uh, he plays almost everything on it. I think his brother played drums, and maybe he'd have somebody else with him as well, but he played Im- immense amount of instruments. I think all the woodwinds and brass and guitars and keyboards and just kind of a... It's a little proggy, but... Uh, it's okay. It's a little, a little, you know, like a lot of this stuff, a little bit of a Zappa influence and a little bit of a Beach Boys influence, but... Um, I like it, I like it quite a bit, and then after that was a song that is from a uh, from a film. Uh, oh, once again, nineteen seventy two. Yeah, actually, <laughs> a, a Japanese film called uh, Tenshi no Kokotsu, uh, which was made by a uh, director named Koji Wakamatsu, and written by another director from that time named uh, Masao Adachi, and they were both involved uh, with a lot of the left wing. Uh, Groups in Japan at the time in the uh, the red, the Japanese Red Army as well, you know the terrorist group, and Adachi himself would actually after that leave for Palestine to join the Red Army and was there for thirty years until just a couple years ago he was arrested and brought back to Japan. He didn't take part in any terrorist activity, so he got out after two years. And Wasn't the boss a woman? They caught her. Yeah, they caught her. Yeah, they caught. Uh, or the last boss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they caught her a couple of years ago in Osaka. They didn't. They didn't know she had sneaked back into Japan. And the funny thing about how she got caught is she uh, she used to have. And this is speaking thirty years ago. Have a very very uh, kind of uh, peculiar way of blowing smoke rings from her cigarettes. And some like old guy who remembered this from thirty years ago. Is it okay? Can you still hear me? Or are you checking for police mics? <laughs> it's not a not a bad idea. Um, a guy thirty years later in Osaka saw a woman on the street blowing smoke rings that reminded him of her. That's I mean I've read this and I've heard this. I mean I'm sure there's other details to it, but that's an interesting aspect. She got caught thirty years later because of a smoke ring. Her, her crime ring was caught because of her smoke ring. <laughs> and, uh, but this film was uh, the last film they made together, and it's it was about this thing that was happening in Tokyo at the time called the Great Tokyo Osaka War, which was the uh, kind of the wings of the Red Army that were in Osaka and Tokyo. They were sort of attacking police boxes, and you know there was a incident that happened the week that the film premiered. Uh, right across the street from the movie theater, it was called the Christmas tree incident. And you can see it in Shinjuku still. One of the main corners, there was a Christmas tree next to the police box, and uh, some of the terrorists had thrown. Uh, uh, maybe that's the wrong word to use. I don't want to get involved in that. Uh, they put a bomb in the Christmas tree, and it blew up the police box. And they almost immediately, you know, investigated the film screening because there was, you know, there had been connections between them. So there was a lot of trouble. They got Christmas trees here. Yeah. And they didn't, maybe they didn't have, no, they do. Okay. <laughs> but, uh... So Chris, is it a big deal here? Um... Eiko-san, Christmas is a big deal. 
Mm. Uh, I guess so. Okay. <laughs> well, you've been here for one Christmas at least. Yeah, but I kind of ignore it. Okay. Well, you know, the Christmas vacation here is really, really long, but it's not a Christmas. It's because of something. It's a New Year's vacation. It's like two weeks. You know, oh. it's two weeks long. And, uh, yeah, I kind of, you know, I just keep myself locked up anyway. Okay. You know, so, so this is a song from that movie. People put up lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think okay. so. I think it's more and more the more sort of shop-oriented parts of town. Yeah, I don't I don't see it like in the re- so much in the residential areas at all. I, that's actually what it is. Like in Ginza or Shibuya or places like that, there are a lot of it, but not so much in neighborhoods. I, I haven't seen much of it. Yeah. But uh, I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it. You know, I mean, you know, they got they like Jesus too. Okay. Although there are much more Christians here, I think than pe- you know than is commonly known. I was surprised when you know, I first started coming here and I saw Christian churches and I was like, "What?" And I talked to some people. I'm like, "Well, there's," and then of course I started studying the history and found out that you know, you know Jesuits. Yeah, yeah, works that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The word arigato and arigato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's fascinating stuff. They didn't have a word. Yeah, you know, actually, it's funny. There's a there was this film this director uh, uh, Shinoda made maybe like 30 years ago called Silence which is about a story about uh, the first uh, Portuguese uh, uh, Jesuit, uh, what do you call it? Um, the priests who go places and, yay, yay, you, what do you call it? Missionary. Missionary, right. <laughs> and uh, I guess that's going to be Scorsese's next movie. He's doing a, re- a remake of it. Wow. Yeah. So. Because they're like the bad guys in the uh, Shogun movie. The Jesuits? God, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever seen Shogun. Or something. Or the England guys. And, right, right, right. Because they're Protestant. Right, yeah, Some yeah. Uh, secret yeah. cabal. Well, I'll have to check that out. I think at first they weren't seen as that. You know, you know. there's, of course, a lot no, of... No, not by the people here. It right. was by the England. Oh! Because <laughs> oh, they're rivals. Right, right, right. All <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And then, of course, the whole... With... For... for uh, business to the mercantile thing between right. the Dutch German, yeah. So, I think the Dutch the Dutch were allowed to stay after after everyone else was kicked out. The Dutch were allowed to stay for a while to, to continue to do business, ah. and then everybody got kicked out for I think a hundred years. Yeah, or something right, like right. To the open door. Yeah. <laughs> we saw we were in the train thing, and there's Perry on the wall. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're open for business, right? Now, right? Okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah you know um film yeah big reason you came here yeah yeah it sounds silly but i mean you know i'd wanted to learn japanese a long time but you know it's you don't really get encouraged when like films still have subtitles and stuff you know and it's like oh yeah well i'll get around to it <laughs> and i kind of i ran out I you know I ran out. I was like, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to stick with it. And uh, you know, I think during the last Sonic tour, I, I started learning the hiragana and katakana, you know, and and tried to study on the road, and it didn't work. You know, but language work. and film, you can, yeah. you're working on. Yeah, that. yeah. Like I've been, you know, I've been like, because a lot of these directors I really love. Some, you know, a lot of them are still alive, but they're, you know. And getting on, although they're they're from a very they're strong stock. It seems these guys they drink they drink you under the table and and still you know still dance home. You know? <laughs> and uh, 
So yeah, I mean that's a, a big part of the culture here that I, I like, and it's not necessarily contemporary. You know, I, there's sort of like a certain period I really are really fascinated with, and I'm fascinated by the history from that time too. So. But you're not doing a lot of music here. No, not really. You, you, know. you mixed Mayo's record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny you know I mean like if friends come you know and they want to play I'll play and stuff but I'm like not doing I think I still need time away if to, to actually be able to because I haven't done anything on my own in like six years now whoa uh, so um, I still think I need like I think I need to stop completely so that I can actually start again well maybe it'd be neat to tell folks uh, how you got into music uh, you know it's actually funny I want when I was six. You know, my parents were kind of your Chicago from you know from Ireland kind of. They were both orphans and and you remember you I forget what the name of that kind of famous book years ago about how priests in Ireland would take orphan girls and make them their maids and then they would send them to parishes around the world. And they were be, not really slaves, but basically I forget there was a famous book about that a couple of years ago. My mom was one of those girls, so she got sent to Chicago, and then. Uh, my father, you know, they, they didn't meet in Ireland. So I wanted an 8 millimeter camera for That's Christmas. Sick. Yeah, yeah, I wanted an 8 millimeter camera. And they didn't have the money. And my mother had somebody in the family line who played accordion. And because he played accordion, they said, well, you know, maybe he'll be a musician. So they bought me this Sears acoustic guitar. And Not I, an accordion. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> uh, thank God. Thank God. Thank goodness. Oh, that might have been okay. Then I could have played keyboards. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes regret that. My organ player, Pete, yeah. the second man. It's he started on accordion? And ended up on Hammond B3. So. Does he still play the accordion? Oh, yeah. Like a motherfucker. Really? Can he do the keys to the, uh, the like buttons? Oh, wow. Slav Italian weddings. Oh, really? He had really? to learn all the tunage. And, oh, wow. But so that you get the Sears guitar? Yeah, yeah. And I guess I just started from there. I remember the first thing I played was the Pink Panther theme. Whoa! Because <laughs> I think you can play with the open strings. I think you know, and I remember my parents being really impressed. And I was like, "Well, it's the open strings." I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so once you started uh, copying records, yeah, I was really into Paul McCartney then. So I wanted. To, I, I used to put up. Uh, uh, I remember when I bought when when Band on the Run came out. I used to prop it up on the mirror in my room and like look in the mirror and like look at me and then look at the picture of Paul in the car and go, "Yeah, I look like Paul McCartney." <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the story behind that song? Somebody told me it was no. about him getting arrested here in Japan for a lot of mota. But wasn't he arrested after that record? I don't know. That's what somebody told me in the Stooges crew. <laughs> I think I, I think they might have a. Uh, the, I think they may have the flow of time reversed. Suitcase <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, is that right, though? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I forget how much he had, but you know, yeah. And he can't ever come. No, he was able to. They, they, oh. they eventually uh, okay. rescinded and let him in. Because that was another thing the yeah. uh, experts <laughs> told oh, yeah. me. I forget who it was, but you know, so many people are have not been able to come in because of things like that. Oh, you know. So, uh, you're copying Paul McCartney, so I'm yeah, looking at right, posters. Right. Till about 37. <laughs> Maybe so. No, no. Well, actually, I was really excited about that. New, I was really excited no, about that. But you new started record. playing with people, yeah. huh? And then, you know, in school I was playing, and then. You already had, you had bands in school? In. Yeah, oh yeah, and I'd make, I'd release records. You know, I recorded Were you writing songs? Can you t- remember then, your first song you wrote? Oh, actually, I do. It's actually the lyrics were funny. 
I, f- I found them a few years ago. It was, I re- I, the lyrics were written on the back of the poster for... Uh, Band on the Run. <laughs> yeah, maybe Band on the Run. No, actually, it was Dark Side and the Moon. You know how yeah. all the posters? And the... <laughs> There were two posters, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then like maybe 8 by 11s or something. (laughs) And I swear to God, the lyrics were, I was walking down the street, I saw a girl explode. (laughs) (laughs) I think maybe that was like a sort of like a... You know, street like, of conscious. Not, well, not street of conscious. I think the explode was maybe like a stage direction. Oh. <laughs> you know, I was thinking like, oh, was, yeah, and then everything will blow up. Leopold Bloom and Ulysses, you know, he's just, thoughts collide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, and then, you know, I got, once I got so my... With the lyrics first? No, 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 no. Music? No, I think that's the only time I ever did. I didn't, oh, write, okay. I didn't write lyrics again for like 30 years. <laughs> And I got an amp with a spring reverb, and I remember I made this eight-track cassette called War, and I drew the cover, and it had like a tank, you know, crushing somebody maybe, and it was, you know, the eight-track cassette was called War, and it was just me shaking the spring reverb for the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear metal machine music? No, I hadn't. Something? No, okay. You know, it might, it might have been close, because I bought it on eight-track. I yeah. bought metal machine music on eight-track. There was a Walgreens... No, oh, so you had no, an 8-track recorder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the stereo, you could record yeah, it. Yeah, I know some yeah, people yeah, who had those. Yeah. The Woolworths near our house had like 99-cent 8-tracks. So, you know, I, at, by that time I was like I was like into Jethro Tull and the Who. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah, I was really into Jethro Tull. <laughs> <laughs> Remember they played Five Nights at the Forum. Oh, really? They were a huge band yeah. at one point. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, in the 70s. Oh, when, and the funny thing is when I went to see them, you know, I, until I was like 13, my dad would still go with me to shows. Oh, know? yeah. Tell me about the first gig. Oh, the first gig. Oh, you know about that? Yeah, you told me. Oh, I do. Okay. The spaghetti gig. No. <laughs> so it's it was, Wings. Yeah, it was Wings. It was in 75. And, uh, well, let's, I don't want to get into so much about my mother. Let's just say my mother had a tendency to, uh, how, how did they say these days? Act out. <laughs> Is that the, the humorous way people say it now? So we were eating dinner before we went to the show, and my fa- my father was taking me. My sister was going too, and uh, we were eating spaghetti. And she got mad about something or other, and she picked up a plate of spaghetti and threw it at the wall above my head, and it cracked and landed in my hair. And so my dad goes, uh, uh, "Go, go, go, clean your hair out." And she goes, "No, he's going to the show like that, no." <laughs> so, of course, <laughs> yeah. So in the car, my dad let me pull out as much as I could, but I still had bits of plate and spaghetti in my hair. And this is the funny thing: I still remember vividly. Like it was at the Chicago Auditorium, which doesn't exist anymore, and we're in the sort of you know that sort of cattle call line, you know, like they have at banks where it's to like, the Salt Lake, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to get in. And I remember seeing little comic books on the floor, and I was like, oh wow, a comic book! And I picked it up, and it was this weird, long, slender sized comic book. And I go, Dad, look a comic. He's like, oh, those are no good. And it was a chick comic. Yes, of course, <laughs> it was a chick. <laughs> so. Yeah, and so I watched Wings with uh, spaghetti and, and china in my hair. <laughs> Paul didn't stop the game. No, 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 no. He's like, yeah, <laughs> What's man, that, about? that guy's going, I want everybody to go crazy like that little kid over there. <laughs> yeah. So, so do you get some guys at school to make a band? Uh, there was another, there was a guy, Dave Arndt. Yeah, Dave Arndt and I were a band. But in you know, I was in the band in school, which was oh, uh, which was uh, like school band. Yeah, school band, and I played. That's how I started playing percussion. Ah, and then yeah, so I played percussion. So it's junior high or high? That's like that's grade school. Grade school. Yeah, yeah. 
So, like, I can't play drum set at all, but I can play, like, you know, orchestra drums and things like that. So, so from that, I learned to read. school even had a band. Well, That's you know, it was like, you know, da, 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 you know, like, real garbage. <laughs> but, you know, from that, I learned how to read, you know, I was able to learn how to read music. By high school, there was the jazz band, and that's what, yeah. and that's, and but there were already enough guitar players, so that's why I had to switch to bass. Ah, because the teacher said, "Okay, you're playing bass." Stand up. Yeah. No, no, it was. Wow. No, the jazz band I played electric bass in the orchestra. There was. See, I went to a Catholic boys' school. Yeah. And then next to it was the Catholic girls' school. Yeah. And so, the girls' school had orchestra. The boys' school had concert band. And then shared that was the jazz band. Like the girls could be in the jazz band. Co-ed. Too. Yeah, I got co-ed jazz band, uh, the way it should be. <laughs> and and uh, so I played double bass in the orchestra, and then I played bass, electric bass in the jazz band. Wow. Yeah. But at home you're still playing guitar. I don't think I played guitar much during those years. Wait yeah, I think I just sort. Of, but that's when I started playing, you know, the weirdo guitar. Because by that time, I was starting to get into free jazz and stuff, and like. But uh, you never had a garage band doing. No, I never really did. Wow, I think maybe doing the Wings covers. Or... No, not really. Okay. No, I never really did. But you're like learning them in the bedroom, just yeah, to learn. Yeah, yeah. But you're doing bass. I Both think I... versions of bass, but you're playing music. You know, that right. they got you in class. Think, You're not I, at home playing right. bass off records. No, right. no. I, but I think I I learned normal kind of playing on bass more than I did on the guitar. Okay. Because by the time I got started getting in, you know, because at the library I'd get out like, you know, because, you know, those, that was a time when a lot of those, you know, like non-suction labels like that were putting out John Cage records and stuff. Sure. So I remember I got a record called New For- New Forms for Piano, which I think was on New World, which had like uh, had Cage and it had um, Henry Cowell, and you know it was long description on what the prepared piano was. Wow! And so, but that's a leap, man, from Wings to Nonsuch. Well, that's about you know. But that's, you that's know, wings. Years, I can like, understand yeah. though, no, the way you got to it, because that's uh, the wings <laughs> is on the radio. Yeah. How, what hipped you to the that stuff? Mm. Cats in school? No, it's really just going to the. Well, it started because of uh, Absolutely Free, the Zappa record, because he had a big list inside right. of all the things he liked, and so. I mean, I got that out of the library. And it wasn't that hard to find out about Zappa, of course. No, no, no. You know, you'd read, like, the Rolling Stone Guide to Records. You know, of course, he's in there. Yeah, yeah. And I just, that's how I... He was I, also on FM with some funny yeah, songs. Yeah, that was, like, around Yellow the time Stone. of, like, Yellow... Exactly, exactly. And, uh... Maybe not Mothers, but there yeah, was yeah, a period yeah, 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 where yeah. he kind of was on. In fact, and, he was kind of on a cusp of a prog thing or a mm, mm, without the, but with the funny thing, mm, so he could get on the FM radio right. with the Black Dog. And but you know, the thing is, I mean, you know this, and you you look back at a lot of those bands, even the most popular bands, and those those songs are much more involved in the writing. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. So it's you know a lot of the stuff that we don't think of as prog would compared to. A lot of stuff that came afterwards is very, very proggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely. Like I was huge into 10CC and that kind of that kind of pop music. I liked 10CC or I didn't like Queen so much then, although I liked them. But I liked that sort of that kind of 10CC sort of uh, 
mad, you know, mad scientist kind of pop. You know, I like that stuff. So you know, from the Zap, I found from out about Zap. Stravinsky. Okay, and and for example, like Stravinsky would there be a record on Deutsche Grammophon? I say, oh well, yeah. and I'm you're at the library. At the library, so I pull. See, it I didn't even know about the library shit for a long time. No, that's how <laughs> fucked up the seventies was for us. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't in that certain set of records that was being pushed, right? We didn't even know that it existed. Right. I I learned about all that stuff from punk people. Mm. Because they knew all about all kinds of music, mm. these cats in that scene. Right. I never stumbled upon any of it. Right. You know? Some glam. Yeah. There was some glam wasn't big in the U.S. Yeah. Like, uh, or they'd have one hit like T-Rex. Yeah. But that was about the most uh, like obscure music right. I even had. And then later, there was a, a station called KPFK mm. Pacifica, and they'd mm. have shows. Mm. Where cats would play uh, Sabotnik and uh, right. kind of mm. yeah, yeah. some guy scratching on a balloon. It <laughs> yeah. sounded like you know, and it's like, whoa, this is music. Yeah, yeah, all right. And that's and plus meeting punk people. Yeah, I got uh, turned on. It's like seventy seven and that stuff. I yeah. started get, getting hip to that. And I've always been curious on how people found that. Yeah, older brothers. Yeah, uh, yeah. some music thing and. You got it from the Zappa record. Yeah, that's where that's it, all, it kind of really all branched out from there. That's, just from that list, it really That's did. great. So you, you start, and now this uh, gives you, uh, I don't know, cojones to start whacking out a guitar at home? Yeah, I'm, I remember, actually, the first time I tried it was my mom, for some reason, bought me uh, Avon, like, boys cologne. And it was like... Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ma. I, no, I happening. still remember this. And it was a... It was like a, a like a football player in mid throw, and like from the waist down, it was like blue clear glass that the magic elixir had been put in. And, uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and above was like this white rubber, you know. And I remember, I you know, I was like rubbing the rubber against the the you know, the guitar, and I was like, and I was like, yes. Mother, that does not sound like practice, my mother. I, that does not sound like what your teacher gave you. Are you recording it? No, no, I was just no. goofing around. No, but you're, you're making recordings. I start. Did well, the, I was the making War I was, Eight I, track. I, 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 I was. My dad. What had, did the War Eight track sound like? The like the melody. Oh yeah, 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 music, yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. Well, I was just like. But is, is it part of this era? That was that was like that was like McCartney time. So yeah, yeah. Oh, wow! I just thought it was like you know because like yeah, it was just war. a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. didn't know about yeah. Deutsche Grammophon. No, no, no. That came a little later. And uh, you know I can do it, so I'm going to do it. Right? I don't know just, other cats are. I remember calling up the operator and go, "How's that sound? How's that sound?" <laughs> <laughs> I got an audience, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> Time, ladies, <Yeah>. next. <laughs> well, my dad had uh, a reel to like an old reel to reel recorder, and then he had like one of those slim early slimline cassette players, you know. So like I'd play something onto the reel to reel. And then I play that out through the speaker. And oh, then, yeah, the best and, kind of bounce. Yeah, yeah, and bounce back and forth. <laughs> and because the sound changed, I think I really got into like these kind of degraded sounds yeah, because of that. Right. And then Lou Barlow told me that's yeah, how he overdubbed. Yeah, two tape recorders yeah. just playing for yeah. each other. So I, I think that's how that started. But of course, I remember you know doing you know was doing regular music at that time. You know, yeah, like, you know, Neil, you know, Neil Diamond. I think even didn't he? What was but not bands yet. No, no, okay. I didn't. I didn't play. When's the actual, first band? The first actual, first actual band, like in the terms of it being a okay, real the first band. First not actual band. First not actual band. Well, I guess it was. No, mine. I know the, the, in the Austin scene, I heard 
the old punk scene in mm. Austin, you'd have flyer bands mm, mm, that they never did gigs, mm, mm. but they put flyers up. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so that would be an unnatural yeah, band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did that once where I, 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 I had this not real band, and uh, you know we recorded a record and everything, but it wasn't a real oh, wow. band. But uh, I, you're I, playing I, together. Well, we sort of did, and we sort of didn't. It's a long story. <laughs> But I wanted I wanted to do this like uh, America tour, and uh, my first idea was that you know we were going to have shows in all the major cities in the states all on the same day, and I, I wanted to hire a mariachi. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I wanted to hire a mariachi <laughs> band in each town, so people would show up, and, and it'd be this mariachi band. But that's a brainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't have the money to do that, yeah. so I just I just sent out. and then I I did a bunch of shows where we would be playing at. Uh, 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 O'Hare Airport, and I'd say, and you know, I, I, you know, because I lived near the airport, so I would, you know, I'd go there, and I there was usually maybe a regular guy who played sax or something, and I what busking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, like, are you going to be here next week? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right. And I say, I put up, I, I, I'm telling folks, but I, I changed his name. He didn't quite know it. <laughs> That's 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 pretty surreal. <laughs> that's a trip. It's taking it up a level. Well, it, was, it was very very convenient. You know, I'm going to work my way up to the gig. But you actually start to do a gig. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did, or at least prac with some dudes in a garage. Well, in college, I had a group whose name is so embarrassing now. I don't want to say, but okay. that was kind of like that. Uh, it was kind of. A, it was kind of like that stuff that was coming out of New York at that time, like the Golden Palominos and material. Oh. Like it was, you know, because I was starting to get into, you know, stuff like the American. Because you know, I, I I was by that by that time I was like really into Derek Bailey and Cecil Taylor and all that stuff. And you know, the American, the new generation, like Zorn and them, they had started. So I was starting to get into that stuff too. So I then it was you know. And how'd you find out about them, Derek? Derek were they in the library? <laughs> Derek was in the library because there were two ECM records by Derek ah. Bailey, and so that's how I found out about him. And but maybe record collecting, record collecting didn't. Well, I guess I guess I did, you know, on on a child's level, you know. But my mother, oh my god, I don't want to get too start, too many stories about my mother. <laughs> but my parents didn't quite understand why I needed to buy records. Yeah, they didn't you know, quite. Listening, what's yeah, that yeah, about? yeah. They didn't quite understand that because, like, if I bought more than one record a week, it was like <laughs> yeah. it was like. Ins- but my mother would search through my uh, garbage can at night as I slept, and if she found a receipt from a record store when I wake up in the morning, uh, she'd be sitting there with her hands crossed. Have you ever seen the Manchurian Candidate? Yeah, of course. That's that's my mom. <laughs> No, I mean that's exactly what she looks like too. She looks like Angela. No, Lansbury. not uh, not exactly because you're not going to kill her. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. I mean, she isn't that person. Although she's close, but uh, no, she looks exactly like Angela Lansbury in that film. So if you can imagine that, she's sitting at the kitchen table with her hands crossed, tapping one finger on the table, like just like. And I was like, oh, this again. The receipt. Yeah, and so I'd have to sit down, and you know, I'd get berated for buying a record. Yeah, yeah. So, wandering. So I think that's maybe why I did become a record collector yeah, afterwards. Course. Afterwards, like once I moved out, I did for ten years. I was a pretty big record. And because you're in the record stores and you're seeing records, yeah. so you probably got hip. And so Zorn and these cats, yeah. And so you want to make a band, yeah, yeah. And so in college, I had a band that was like kind of that kind of thing because you know there was like a bass player and I I played bass too and I 
think I even had a fretless bass then. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Now, because I loved Jocko, Jocko in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then there was that. And then, uh, the, God, I guess the real, the first real Are you band. writing the tunes in the band? That was all impro- the band version of it yeah. was it all improvised stuff. It was all. What was the other stuff. version of it? Well, because the, the, that was like you remember that was like totally the cassette days, like ah. the cassette trading days. You know, like you know all those like little cassette labels in the eighties, late mid eighties, and such. So like we made cassettes, and maybe about two thirds of it were like things I made on my own, and then there was the live tracks, which was the <laughs> band, you know, and that was all improvised. The live shows were always ah. improvised, and. Uh, the gigs are different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it was kind of that kind that kind of music that was coming out then. It's sort of like improvised, but there's a beat. You know. You ever see those guys again from that band? Um, I know one guy now teaches at the college we went to, but everybody else. Oh, actually, the drummer ended up, and now he plays with Ken Vandermark, and uh, I think oh. I think even Nels has played with him. Tim Mulvena is his name. So wow. now he's actually got a very good thing going on in Chicago. I think he sort of, I think for many, many years he was trying to play in bands and stuff. And now he's like doing other kind of music and doing actually much better at that. So what happens after that band? Then for a long time I was like just making tape music. Because that's it's like, because I was, when I was in college, that's when I was starting to really, you know, try to be a, whatever you want to call it. So Are you on guitar again? No, I was just Not cutting yet. tape and okay. recording, cutting tape and stuff. I I think for many years I didn't play an instrument at all. I was just like cutting tape and so for a long time that's all I was doing. So really, the first band band then was this Gastro del Sol band that I did with with uh, two other people who became the America New America version of Red Crayola because when the the main guy in Gastel Soul sort of got connected with Mayo in Germany and um, sort of got him... Well, you know, Mayo, of course, was still doing stuff, but Since I think it was... the 60s. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. But there, there was a period of time where he was doing things... Oh, he was right. living in Germany. He was just sort of doing a really slow pace. But there's still some. I got some German... Yeah. A single or yeah. something. Yeah, exactly. There was, like a, I think, a single and maybe... An a, airplane. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was the, uh, the Malefactor Ade record, which is a very odd record. But it was a time where Mayo was going to be leaving Germany, and then he hooked up with David, the guy from Gastro Soul, and so that's how he hooked them up with uh, Mayo up with Drag City, then the label Drag City, and so that sort of got this new Red Crayola ball rolling. So Mayo came to Chicago and we recorded Steve Albini's place, and then so then for at the same time, then I was playing in Red Crayola. But you're doing Gaster before. Yeah, it was just a little bit before. And Gaster's doing gigs, and you're yeah, writing music for it. Yeah, yeah. That that we actually did a couple tours. But the guitar. That I played guitar in. Yeah, guitar, I, yeah so yeah. there must have been, between the uh, band's name, who will never be mentioned, but you're on bass, <laughs> yeah. of, on Jocko bass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Gaster, you must have picked up the guitar again. Well, in the way... Well, I... I mean, well, outside, I like the, the Stooges crew and screwing up the timeline. No, 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 not at all. It's, it's. I think I didn't play regular guitar in a way. That's what part of the challenge for me of doing that band was. Is like, can I, can I yeah. play regular guitar again? You yeah. know, you know. So I think that was part of the challenge for me to do it. 
Yeah, and you know, I'm part of that. You know, with that band, it was very much a studio band. It was very much you know recording the things, and it was very much having to do with how it's recorded and at mixed, edited, and all that. So that was all part of it. But yeah, that's in studio. Yeah, which wasn't a studio. Versus it was my bedroom. The, yeah, okay. But versus the cassette. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a big leap there. Yeah, yeah. What was the first stuff you started doing, like proper recording? Was it Gaster? Yeah, that was the first time I was ever record, able to record in an actual studio. Was it maybe the first or second Gaster record? We actually went to a studio, and I was amazed. It was the first time I was able, able to use an actual studio, so Whoa. that was kind of wild. But then at the same time, that's when I started recording people's records because I was, you know, during college, I, 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 I you know would do sound at you know, events and stuff. So I sort of taught myself how to engineer. And so oh, so you must have known about gigs, uh, not re- uh, wings gigs, mm. bunk gigs. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is all... It doesn't, uh, Does that come know, with college? That actually is high school. High school. And like, I actually... I, my friend and I used to... There's, I think, maybe two of the Dead Kennedys records, you know, how it would have the, the list of names of people who contributed to the college. We're, we're on there. And Derek <laughs> O'Grodney and me. And we actually did an interview with you then. For us. So you had a zine? Yeah, Social Smegma. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> of course. The first fire hose. What gave you the idea to do a zine? Because, well, in high school, my, my friend then, Derek, he was into punk and I was into, you know, like, you know, jazz and that Dorothy stuff. Graham. And, you know, and, and so we were friends and so we basically just exchanged. I'd go to his house and he'd turn me on to like, you know, you know, that's how the I found out. Was, the gramophone really wasn't doing the gigs where there yeah, was actually punk right. bands coming through. Yeah, okay. so you know, saw you, saw uh, a lot of bands. Saw Dead a lot Kennedys, of bands. obviously. I actually never saw the Dead Kennedys. Oh, but you're on the. But I saw uh, Mr. Biafra do talk and stuff, but I didn't get to see them live. I think the time they played in Chicago, I could go see them. I was still too young. It was a club where I couldn't get ah. in because in Chicago it was Age still limit. There, there was there was. There was it was tough to do all ages shows in Chicago at that time if I remember yeah, yeah, if yeah, I remember yeah. correctly yeah yeah I remember and uh, so I actually couldn't see the Minutemen but I did see the first I still remember the first Firehose gig at the at the Cabaret Metro yeah and which is interesting connection because at that show you guys were playing with Slovenly yeah and that was the first time I saw Tom that's where Watson I thought, I thought Slovenly was fan because I'm going backwards before Red Creole and all that and I thought Slovenly were awesome. I thought they were awesome. I yeah, still yeah. think they were awesome. And so I got really got into them. You know, because I, I already knew the SST, although be, being in Chicago, it's almost yeah. like this this gang thing. You had to be more touch and go. You know, because I already, you know, I was really into Killdozer. I loved Killdozer. Yeah, but they're in Milwaukee? Yeah, but because they were part of the touch and go family. I know it's only 100 miles. Yeah, yeah. So and it's touch and go too, yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's how I, you know, found out about Slovenly, you know. So with Gaster. You're going into real studios. Yeah. And then you're also recording other people. Yeah, that's why I started doing that. And mostly because of Drag City. Because, you know, Drag City was still a small label then. You know, it's still, you know. I mean, Why'd you run into them? Because of David, who, who and, and uh, I think he hadn't done anything with Drag City before then. But um, we were starting the Gaster stuff and we were already starting to record. And we ran into them. And David sort of talked to them, and they said they'd do it. They'd do it because he had connections with other bands. You know, I think he had played in like with Royal Trucks at a couple gigs. You know, and it's just it was kind of the family. You know, yeah, yeah. And so because old punk is a lot about people. Yeah, 
So I, I don't think uh, maybe younger folks coming on understand. It was all about knowing, not so much like elitists and stuff, but mm. it was about people bumping mm. into each other mm. and making connections. Mm. Well, they, you know, I, it's funny because I think something that's lost with the internet generation, I guess, yeah. you know, this is, I'm not going to get in because this is a big rant of mine. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't matter how, it's like, it's like how you always say, it's like you could know someone for years by by phone or before by phone or mail or now email and you could have talked for the equivalent of days on email but all it takes is two minutes being next to each other to make something happen you know what I mean totally yeah oh, I mean of course I know you know what I mean no, I'm just, yeah I, yeah yeah uh, so yeah that's how it happened and then Drag City was still a very small label at the time I don't mean that insultingly but it was and so I was a cheap engineer, meaning free, you know. So, yeah, 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 yeah. so I started doing smog records, and yeah. you know, and uh, what else? That, you know, I mean, I was started doing that, and and then other labels in Chicago that were happening at the time, you know. I, I did the first two U.S. Maple records, Gun for Hire. Yeah, well, yeah, it was like the Gun for Free, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you know, it was great because they were they were. The, <laughs> You know, they were they were great. That was a good time for Chicago, the early 90s. That was yeah. a really good time in Chicago. There was really good bands. And uh, I think people were still kind of hungry then. There was no there was no externally decided scene. Yeah, it yeah. was actually just something that happened because people were doing things. Yeah, yeah, which is great. So it was a good time there at the time. And so, you know, I got to work with good people and I got to, you know at least hopefully learn to be a better engineer and at that way. And then I met Steve, Mr. Yeah. Albini, and he was very supportive and, you know. What so. about the acoustic guitar, John Fahey? Well, the funny, thing with the, the funny thing with the Fahey thing is I heard it when I was younger, and then I think because I had all those years of sort of rejecting the guitar. How'd you hear it? Because of the library The library, thing? the library again, yeah. But the first time I heard that type of guitar, it's actually funny, was on a Genesis record. Yeah, of course. On, uh, I was so funny. I was so <laughs> into totally Genesis. Totally serious. I was so into Genesis, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, I was so crazy into Genesis when I was young. I still love the Peter Gabriel period. But there was a, there was a kind of, that kind of track on one of the records. And, uh, but then, uh, a record store had opened in Chicago, this record store called Reckless Records, when I was oh, in yeah. college. And when it first opened up, all the stock they had brought from their English stores in exchange for new records, you know. So because of that, I sold all my Coltrane records, my Miles Davis records, my Fahey records, everything for a bunch of crap, throbbing gristle bootlegs. <laughs> Which very quickly I soon learned was a big mistake. <laughs> so away. so for many years I didn't have the records and I kind of did. I guess I didn't think about it for a while. And then after I met Henry Kaiser, I was out visiting him, and he put it on. I was like, Oh yeah, Fahey, yeah. And so I started getting into it again. And all of a sudden I kind of glommed onto this connection between like really kind of drone oriented minimalist music, which I was also really into. I was like, wait a minute, this is, this is kind of the same thing. It's really kind of the same thing. Because when I was young, I thought of Fahey as a guitarist. Yeah. You know? And when I got older, I didn't look at him that way. Cause like I, because I'd gone away from him for a while. Not gone away, but you know what I mean. I just didn't listen to it that for a while. When I went back, I had a completely different perspective on it. And so then I got really sort of... It was sort of like a real fire for rethinking my own stuff, you know? 
So that's, and then I think it was just that it was you know a few years later was when like when Byron Coley and other people were helping him get going again, and this label sort of decided to to, to give John my phone number, and unbeknownst to me, he had or, he or, he he like already had records because I had done I think he had like an old prepared guitar record of mine. Which is the kind of stuff he liked. He liked like making noises on the guitar, you know. This is stuff after Gaster. This is sort of at the same time. It's sort of happening at the same time. And so then Fahey called me up and we talked on no, the phone. No, but when you made that prepared guitar. The prepared guitar stuff's like earlier. It's before yeah, Gaster. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's before Gaster. It's like in the, that's like the early but 90s. But you, it's man on, one on one. Yeah, no yeah, band. yeah, yeah, yeah. No band, yeah. But that during that time, I was going to Europe. I'd spent all my time in Europe because you could actually go and play and do that kind of stuff, you know. So most of the most of the early '90s, I spent in Europe, you know, because I, I that's why I rarely played in the states. Uh, I've never done a tour in the states, my own, you know. So I think I played once in San Francisco. I played before I moved to New York. I played there once, and otherwise, I just played in Chicago. So you think that label turned John onto those records? Or he no, stumbled he, onto him. I, I, I think he, he's. I think a, he, he didn't. I think someone in, uh, you know, in Oregon, you know, because you know he had friends. And, right, right. And so he knew that record, uh, and uh, so the label put us together on the phone, and we talked, and that's how the book happened. The book that came out later, because he told me he was like, well, you know, uh, I, we were talking about movies, and I said something about somebody about Antonio, and he's like, oh, I punched that guy out. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean you punch me? He tells me the story. He's like, I got it written down somewhere around here. And I was like, really? Wow, I'd love to read that. And then I didn't, kind of didn't think it. And about a week later, I get this big box from him filled with manuscripts that's got food on it. And, you know, and, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, of course, I wasn't the only person who knew about his writing. But that got that and then this guy really great guy named Dean Blackwood who helped John start his new label and then with Drag City we that's how the book started happening you know and just that's how the ball and that started you know it's the same thing it's just like people met people and then you go you know do you know about this yeah so that's it kind of there's no like it's not you know I, I understand how from the outside it looks like some sort of I don't know. Cabal? Yeah, but it's not. It just, I know, it just sort right. of happens, you know? That's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's almost like gravity and friction yeah. at the same time. Okay. Um, the Faye thing. Yeah. The gaster plays itself out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sort of fell apart. And uh, Why is that? Ah, it's a long story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And, uh, but then... I, Right around when that was happening, that's when I was almost doing nothing but producing records, and then. And so you're no longer the engineer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With engineer. the with the drag city things, it started becoming producing. Like you know, at so first you got another was, cat. Yeah. Being the knob man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe I was always the knob man. <laughs> okay. But uh, what what's the difference? Was it a big it, change for you? Well, at first it just became a thing. At first it was just like Stop being the band's a, like a producer knob slash knob man. Well, see, I don't. I think Steve's not a producer. No. Steve's almost a producer by default. Be- sometimes, uh, if he hears this, I think he'll understand what I mean. He's a def- the producer by default sometimes because he- the bands are scared to to 
to you know because Steve has opinions which are very well informed and very interesting yeah. and you know he's an incredibly smart guy yeah. and Steve's opinions are great to hear but if the band is scared or young they may almost by accident default he produces them because yeah. they're you know but Steve is not a producer okay when you went into the role well at first it was almost like the same thing like Steve yeah. you know it's like I just like I have I was like well I think this and you know band either listens to me or not and then more and more it seemed the band the bands or artists it seemed more when I started working with singer songwriters those people more wanted me it's almost like for this record you're my you know it it was more like that like with the smog records for yeah. instance those were probably the first records I really full on produced where it's sort of like to you know together we're going to we're going to conceptualize and make this record Builders. happen yeah yeah so it's sort of like a team effort. now when you related to the knob man well i never i never was much of a knob man because i didn't like gear ah i was never much of a gearhead and so you would say make it be so no no i i learned how to do it, it but i didn't like the whole yeah. fetishizing of the, of yeah, the yeah, gear yeah, yeah. and uh but i learned how to do it and i was kind of more more the kind of way like well you get the mic you you put the mic in the right place and you get a good performance it's probably and you know I did I did produce bands that were very production heavy and sometimes it was fun to do but I think in retrospect I kind of regret those things because they were a little too gear oriented and I think that's why I don't think those records have aged well you know those particular records and then you know at the same time there's still like the weirdo music you know still involved in that and that's kind of how the Sonic thing happened. Cause ah, I, we're at the end uh, of the second hour, oh, okay. so we hold on for that. Uh, hold tight for hour three. Jesus, from Pedro Show, July 27, 2007. July 27, 2007. It's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro Show, and here's part four of Jack Flanders and Tropical Hot Dog Night. You can put me down, all right? I'm carrying you all the way to the boat. Okay, up to you. Mojo. Yeah, Jack, we're maybe ten minutes away. Can you find your way? Getting pretty fuzzy out there, but I think I know where I'm going. Well, as soon as you arrive, we'll get underway, okay? Aye, aye, Captain. Did he say Claudine is fading? <sighs> That's what he said. There is no color. It's the fog. No, look. My hand, there's no color. Oh, that's because you're Canadian. I have pigment. I am pink. Well, you just got deep pink. Man, you are heavy for someone so skinny. That's because I'm all bones, muscle, and brains. Okay, I'm setting you down. (laughs) You and your fat brain can walk the rest of the way. Mm. Oh, but we were enjoying the ride. Uh, Well, how about next time you give me a lift? We think not. Hello? We are here. Man, it's getting like pea soup out here. Hello? Claudine? I can feel this fog wants to play. <laughs> okay. I'll play with you. Mojo, is that you? That's me. We're pushing off. Ah, aye, aye, Captain Jack. Claudine, what is wrong? I feel strange. You are so pale. So are you. Are you feeling nauseous? It's something else. Something you ate? No, no, not that. Uh, There's something in the fog. Jack said you were becoming translucent. I think I was. Oh, we are leaving now. Oh, I need to rest. You'll come back another time, yes? I don't know about me. 
we're getting cleared the fog now. God, it's like cotton candy. It's so sticky. That stuff sure can suck the color out of you. Out of you, Mojo? Well, not that much. But did you see out there in the street, everything was in black and white? Yes, I did notice that. Is that what happened to Claudine? It was taking more than just her color. It, it was taking her. You think she would have, uh, disappeared? I don't know. Hmm. Where are we headed? The next island. Kimaka. It is a strange fog, is it not? How's Claudine? She's resting. Oh, that's good. Maybe you should, too. No, I'm too excited. I want to spend the night on Kimalagro. I want to watch the fog come creeping in on little leopard feet. Leopards don't have little feet. Are you with me? I gotta do a little preparation before I let myself get sucked back into that stuff. Bonjour, are you frightened? I just want to know where I stand on that fog's food chain. We arrived at Kimakanda late that night. We decided to stay on the island for a few days while we planned our next move. Okay, listen everyone. Claudine and I feel it's best that we don't talk about Kimalagra. Why not? Because they may feel that we've been sort of infected. What, we have some kind of contagious virus? Uh, I hear the people on this island don't like the people on that island. Mojo is right. Let's see what we can find out. But please, don't tell people where we were. Okay, my lips are zipped. I'll have the chicken salad, please. Anything to drink? Uh, iced tea, yes. Excuse me, are you Canadian? Yes, from Montreal. And you, you are American? Yeah, from New Jersey. You don't sound like New Jerseyer. Not everyone sounds like, Yo, Vinny, get me a beer. <laughs> that sounds right. I haven't seen you here before. Oh, we are island hopping. Hop, hop, hop. Sounds like fun. Have you been to the other island? Which island? Kimalagro. No. I hear strange things happen on that island. I know. What did you hear? I can't talk now. Perhaps later? This evening? All right. I meet you here? No, there's a bar down at the docks. The Jolly Rodriguez. <laughs> Is that an Hispanic pirate bar? It may have been. I will see you there. Oh, what time? Seven? Okay. Seven? Salut. Yeah, Dominique and her zipped lips. Next time we'll use crazy glue. Last night we were on Kimalagro. Oh, I shouldn't say that. You spent the night there? We left when the fog came. Did anything happen? One of our crew became ill. Now she's fine. What is it like? It is a strange island. People go there. They don't come back. Why don't they? I guess they like it there. What do people here say about Kimalako? Ki Diablo. Pardon? They call it Ki Diablo. Devil's Island, really? Yes, really. Ki Diablo. It sounds exciting, no? I know. And it's so boring here. You have never been there? Oh, no. I don't understand. You come all the way from New Jersey and you don't visit an island that is, what, 20, 30 kilometers away? It's not a place you go just to visit. Why not? Like I said, they don't come back. But if they do, they pack up and leave. They go back to Ki Diablo? Yeah. Why? I think it's because they feel alive. Alive enough to 
never want to return here? Isn't that reason enough? So why haven't you gone? I don't want to be taken over. What takes you over? I don't know. Is it a monster? You know about that? Yes, of course. Did you see it? No, no. But it intrigues you, yes? Mm, a little. Maybe. You should go see for yourself. Are you going back? Do you want to come? No, I don't think so. The second day on Kimakanda, Rose arrived. We had met Rose in San Miguel. Later, when Bunny, the youngest member of our crew, went back to school, Rose asked if we needed another crew member. And we said, why not? The only person who complained was Mojo. What are you saying? I never complained about Rose. Oh, yes, you did. You said three women and only two men. Man, those women will have us outnumbered, outvoted, and outwitted. <laughs> That's the truth. You keep packing this boat with smart women, and we're going to find ourselves drifting in a dinghy while they go sailing off into the sunset. Well, that sounds like mutiny. They don't need no mutiny. Not when they can outsmart us. <laughs> you know, Mojo, there are times you just have to take the chance. I know. <laughs> so when is Rose coming? Oh, sometime before noon. She coming in on the uh, Island Hopper? Yeah, Dominique is meeting her. So when are we going back to Key Diablo? Well, that'll be up to Claudine. I'd like to get back there soon. Yeah? You are so eager. I've got a feeling about that place. And what are you feeling? I don't know yet, except I got it. Well, if we're going back there soon, I think we'll have to do it without Claudine. Hmm. I understand that. Mojo, what do you think they mean when they refer to the monster in the fog? Hmm. Is the monster in the fog? Or is the fog in the monster? You know, I've been thinking about that, too. <laughs> Either way, it's going to be hell to pay when the monster comes out to play. Hmm. Dominique! Rose, there you are. Let me give you a hug. Oh, you are so strong, Dominique. Ah, see my muscles? I work out. Not bad for a stick figure like mine, eh? Oh, impressive. Ah, yes, I am. Listen, did Claudine tell you about Key Diablo? No, but she did mention Key Milagro. There is a monster. A what? A monster inhabits Key Diablo. Key Milagro is Key Diablo? Yes. Well, is the monster a devil? I don't think so. Then why do they call it Key Diablo? Because people go there and they don't come back. What happens to them? Maybe the monster eats them? Hmm? You are not being serious. Come on, come on. When you see Claudine, she will explain. There's not really a monster, is there? I hope there is. Oh, my God. What I think that waiter was talking Dandy about... Dandy Danny. That's his name? <laughs> That's what they call him. All right. <laughs> well... I read something Oliver Sacks had written. The neurologist? Yeah. He was saying that humans cannot see movement. What? We take snapshots and, and put them together into overlapping mosaic patterns, and we perceive it as movement. Like a film? Exactly. A zoetrope. What is that? It was invented in the mid-19th century. No, actually, zoetropes go back to China around 180 A.D., 
Is that a cylinder that spins around and projects images like a horse and it appears to be galloping? It used to be called a magic lantern. The first motion pictures. We can't actually see movement? No, we can't. We constantly take still shots. So what we think we see are not only images we choose to take snapshots of, but also how we choose to arrange them. And that's determined by our, our upbringing, our conditioning, our, our faith, our beliefs, and so on. And that is how we see and how we determine what is reality. Man, no wonder no one agrees on anything. <laughs> you got that right. So that's all we know. If you don't mind my saying, you don't know very much. Oh. There is something in that fog. Yeah, I could feel it reaching for my shadow. Like it wants to come out and play. What do you know about the history of Kimalago? We know nothing, right? Ah, uh, the locals around here don't like talking about that island. Do they have a library? I believe there is. Yes. Well, can we get on the internet? Uh, yeah, but it'll probably be dial-up. I'm going to see what I can find.
were four of us, then the group was Uriel. We played five nights a week at Ride Castle Hotel. We spent our time avoiding skinheads and the law. It was a freedom that we never felt before. And now we're doing this
elle, comme un vieil oiseau déprimé. Arrive toujours avant elle, comme un sinistre messager. Toute la vie la connaît, depuis le temps qu'elle parcourt. Dans tous les sens, par tous les temps, et la campagne environnante. Et le moindre pavé de rue, petit passait, martelé. Et sa démarche saccadée, sans souci du temps ni de l'heure. La folle, la folle, la folle, la folle, la folle, la folle.
right, Jim, there's three more songs. Oh, right. What did we just hear? <laughs> uh, first, oh, first, first was which one? Uh, well, what did we just uh, hear? Oh, well, we just heard uh, Present for Nancy by uh, a Dutch prog rock band <laughs> called Super Sister. What year? That's maybe 1972. <laughs> it's around then. It's around then. And uh, they made like six or seven records and very keyboard oriented a little bit. You know, like obviously like sort of you know, I was a classically trained musician prog rock, you know, with a little bit of uh, that sort of... Uh, sort of Zappa, like, let's look at the world in a different way, sort of humor, which I actually don't like anymore, but I liked it when I was young, <laughs> you know, that kind of uh, circus, circus uh, kind of feeling. But uh, I like, I still like Super Sister quite a bit. And before that was uh, this woman named Mama Bay from, I forget where she's originally from, but she made records in France. And uh, she was sort of in the, I guess you could sort of, like a, a good starting reference point would be something like Brigitte Fontaine but the, in the early 70s there was a couple French uh, singers who sort of came from this Brigitte Fontaine like sort of very theatrical very sort of outspoken expressive kind of singing but used a, kind of a rock band backing instead of uh, arrangements and you know musical kind of sound there was another really great woman named Catherine Ribeiro who used a band that sort of sounded like metal era Pink Floyd as her backing band and uh, her records are terrific and uh, so that's Mama Bay that song called La Foule is that La Foule I guess in French La Foule and then before that was uh, English prog rock band from I believe 1972 again uh, Egg you know, they they made three or four records and uh, that was from their album Polite Force and that was called Visit to Newport Hospital that was like a that was like a Oregon drums bass trio. Yeah. Great band. I'm into Oregon bass. I love drum. Egg. Egg is terrific. That's a great record. I recommend it to everyone. Oh, okay. Look, I got to piss. All right. So, uh, yeah, you don't have to hear about that, but. Uh, Sonic Youth. All right. Well, actually, it's sort of st- the funny part about that. It sort of starts like back at the same time, like I said, when I, when I saw you, for example. Uh, my my friend and I had the zine and he was into Sonic Youth of course you know as you would be at that time that was around the time I think when uh, Bad Moon Rising came out maybe I remember thinking some of that was okay but the thing is he he wanted me to hear them because he said oh you like that noisy music you're going to love this band you know so so he played me Lee is Free you gotta understand my young, my younger person mentality. I heard that and I was like really pissed. I was like, "It's not noisy," which it wasn't compared to the things that I listened to. But at that time, I didn't understand the context, so I was like, "Bah, they're not noisy." So that's kind of the funny thing is, so I I didn't like Sonic Youth at first. You know, I, I didn't like them at first because they weren't noisy enough. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I first met Thurston in London. In ninety, he was. They were there playing, and I was there for something else. And we met in a in a record store. So that's actually. But it's not like we had any sort of thing. But we we met way before. And uh, around the time Thurston started playing improvised music, which would be like around like ninety two, ninety three, around, and he started getting involved with with that world a bit more. So. 
I remember someone saying, "Oh, you got to hear this record." Thurston did. You know, I was like, "Well, really?" You know, like improvising, really? You know, and I was, you know, I mean, I, I've told them this. This isn't like a thing. I was a bit suspicious. You know, when someone out of the blue starts playing a different kind of music, you're like, "Really?" And I remember thinking it was absolutely fantastic. I believe what was it? It was with maybe with Tom Sergal. Oh, yeah, and it was awesome. It was awesome, and so. At that time, I was playing with the Merce Cunningham Company, and do, and do, you know, they, when they do, I was one of the musicians, and uh, so they were going to be doing a week-long run in New York, and so they'd always get a musician from the city they went to, you know. So the lead, the music director was a guy named Takahisa Kasugi, who's like uh, from the John Cage generation. He was like very important from Japan. So I thought, well, why don't when we get thir-? I, I said, well, let's let's get Thurston. You know, that'd be great. So, um, we, Thurston and I spent, but we'd already sort of met up again by that time. We met, we met up again in 94 and we sort of became friends in 94, but more because we were record crazy people, you know? So we were like record friends at first. So I think at first, that's why Kim was suspicious of me. Oh, another one of Thurston's creepy record friends. Because whenever I go to New York, I go over to their house to eat. And she's like, oh, yeah, Thurston's, Thurston's record friend. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so at this, it kind of happened. Three things happened at the same time. So I'm doing this thing with Thurston at the Brooklyn Academy of Music every day. So I, I was staying in some hotel because I, I still lived in Chicago at that time. And I'd meet up with Thurston in the morning, and we hit the record stores, and then <laughs> then go go over to Brooklyn Academy of Music. But one day they had rehearsal. Sonics had rehearsal. He's like, he's like, well, just come with me and hang out. And this is when they, I think, had just gotten the place on Murray Street. So I went there, and that's when they had started doing the SYR records. And uh, so Lee's like, dude, and I met Lee already in years before. In actually, in Holland, we did something together. In Man, Holland. your record ain't noisy. <laughs> yeah, I still compared to what I it wasn't noisy, you know. So, you know, yeah, you gotta understand the context here. So, uh, uh yeah, yeah, you know how it is, yeah, 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 you know how it is. I just wanted a full disclosure about my childhood opinion. So, uh, they trust me, they know it's kind of a long time. So, so Lee's like, dude, let's play. <laughs> you know, Lee is. So we we played. We just played for a couple hours, and uh, I did. Pad. Yeah, and I did that thing with Thurston, and then Thurston and I kept doing improvised shows together, like with Equi Mori and stuff. And that was sort of happening. And all of a sudden, about, a, about six months, maybe a year later, Lee sends me this dat tape. This is back when you still send dat tapes to people, you know, like you know. And he's like. Dude, we're putting it out. <laughs> so that became SYR three. Oh wow! And so be, Kim was starting to do her trio records then, and she and Thurston got the idea of having me mix it because they had like the, the the just put out Smog record at that time. So I went and uh, I mixed Kim's record, and then the Goodbye Twentieth Century thing happened around the same time, and that was Willie Winant's idea. And and so I already knew Willie through Henry Kaiser, so the Sonic folks were like, "Well, Jim's good too because he has a background in that music, and let's let's do it." So the, the 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 six of us, you know, made that record. So all that stuff was sort of converging, and I still lived in Chicago then, so it was really just kind of go and do something like you know. And then it kind of just happened where 
the next record they were doing, they wanted to go. They had recorded it, but there were problems with the studio, and they wanted to try something different. So they asked me, like, "Well, Jim, will you mix it?" And I was like, "Okay, yeah, that'd be fun." You know, you know. So I went, and uh, nobody played bass on the record. This is this is kind of the key thing. <laughs> there was no bass on the record because I think was it starting maybe with. Uh, Maybe with Thousand Leaves, Kim went like full-on guitar. You know, there's bass here and there, but full-on guitar again. But they hadn't yet recorded any bass. And I remember Kim with her, like, well, you know, we, we can't really hear a bass on it. You know, it's like, it's, we're just thinking three guitars and drums. And I was like, okay. And, like, and I said, but Jim, if you have an idea for bass, put it down. And that, I mean, that's kind of, that's the hinging thing. So I was like, okay, I'll try something. And I think there's like maybe three or four songs in the record I play bass. So, you know, it's fine. You know, the studio, they, they, they like the parts. They're like, yeah, that helps those songs. The other songs didn't need bass. So, mixed it. It was, you know, it was hard work because this, the, the studio, there, was, there were problems with the desk and stuff. So, the recordings had been compromised. So, it was kind of long work. <clears throat> but I sort of lived at the studio for like two months doing it. And I'd wake up and work and, you know. So, that happened. And then, basically, they said, well, you know... How are we going to do this stuff live? And they're like, well, why don't you come out with us this summer? And I thought, well, that'd be, you know, fun. So, you know, I'd never done a real tour, you know. And so I was like, well, this would be fun, you know. I'd first time, I'd never really seen America, you know, because whenever I did go play, it was usually going over to Europe. So I was like, oh, that'll be fun and with them. And, you know, I'd gotten to know Kim and Steve better by then, you know. I, you know. So then it just kind of, they kind of just didn't let me... They they kind of just said, well, okay, we're going to start the next record. I'm like, oh, okay. You know you're playing, right? <laughs> you know I was like, you know, and I enjoyed playing with them, and it was rewarding, so I just kept doing it, you know? You did more than bass, though, with the gigs. Well, at, yeah, at the gigs, yeah. If right? the, Basically, if there were tunes from anything off that, not on that record, I was playing guitar. And that first tour, I played guitar. I played bass on the tunes from uh, Ghosts and Flowers, and then I played guitar for the rest. I just They just said, make up a part, you know. I tried to stay out of the way, you know. But whenever there was a noise thing, of course, I went haywire. <laughs> that, 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 that turned into a nightmare later on. <laughs> the last tour I did. It wasn't a nightmare. It was great. I think better for everybody else is a nightmare. Really, the last tour, it was, I think it was great. It was one of my fondest memories, actually. Pretty much every show, it was two shows. We, there would be like a two hour whatever long sonic set and then the last song of course you know has the noise thing and Thurston and I would just keep going <laughs> everybody would leave and Steve uh, Hall Raker yeah yeah and Lee had bought this camera so he got really into like recording the, and we always played for half an hour after everybody left the stage just Thurston would be going <laughs> so that whole tour was like a bonus show at the end so I really enjoyed that but then it just sort of you know, and I moved to New York, and you know, it was great. Uh, but the records became different. It wasn't like, "Whoa, do you hear any bass on any of these songs?" You uh, got brought in. Well, starting with Murray Street, we wrote all the songs together. Yeah, yeah. You know, of course, how it is either. You know, somebody has like a song, you know, which is like could be like, for instance, played on an acoustic guitar or something. The core. Yeah, yeah. And they bring it in, and then you know that's that's the way. That's that's kind of that's one of the things I really liked about playing with them, is that it truly was a sort of democratic band, because those songs would not sound like that if it wasn't those four people making it. It wasn't like you know, 
you know, Thurston's song with other people playing. It's like yeah. it really the way their dynamic it really changes everything. So uh, I really enjoyed that sort of way of working in the sense that I I wasn't I wasn't in charge, which I didn't want to be, but I also wasn't like sort of just adding a part. You know, like everybody add a part, and you would sort of you would adjust what you did to that. Yeah. Dynamic. Yeah, it was much. Yeah, it wasn't sort of like, oh, that part works well with this. He's like, you would, you would adjust. And so, on Murray Street, it was sort of we, Kim and I would split the duties. It was kind of just like we'd say, like Kim would say, oh, I want to play guitar in this, or I want to play bass on this. You know, and that's how it got decided. Because she started playing bass again. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we don't play alike at all. So yeah, was, yeah. So it was kind of, it was kind of cool, you know. So. You know, it was great fun, and then of course we were doing all sorts of other things together at the same time. You know, you know, Thurston was playing more and more improvised music, and started playing with Chris Corsano a lot, which was great. And you know, so that's how that happened. How many records? Well, like straight, like the major label song records was three, and then there was you know tons of like you know the the, the like more weirdo things and side things. So it was three three records. I get yeah yeah three records. And then and how many tours? Oh God, I can't. Even, I have no idea. Uh, it was way way beyond my head. It was like you know, I jumped into a giant pool. I didn't, you know, you know, it became my life. You know, because it's it's because they are a, a big band, and you know, their world is is their schedules and their world are decided by an enormous amount of factors, which was not something I was used to. You know, so. It was sort of like something you plug into, you know. And I mean, all honestly, like around that same time, the last record I had done on my own wasn't that well received. And I thought it was like the first time I finally made a record that was halfway decent and people didn't really like it. And uh, so I kind of gave up. And this is around 2001, two, yeah, early 2001. So I just kind of gave up. So it's not like I gave up, and so but it was easier to just sort of like dive in. It was easier for me, so I just kind of gave up everything and just concentrated. I you know produced somebody's record from time to time, but for five six years, I you know I just kind of concentrated on playing with them. Yeah, and then well, part of it was more and more. You know, since the first time I came to Japan, like in '93 or so. I'd always loved it here, but then the last few years, whenever I come here, I get really kind of, really bent out of, not bent out of shape is not the right way to put it, like, uh, it just really took its toll on me when I'd have to go back home, like, more and more I knew, I kind of was starting to know that it's what I wanted to do, and it was also when I started thinking that I'd better learn the language, and, uh, and, uh, I think I just didn't want to play music anymore. It wasn't because of them. It's like I just didn't kind of didn't want to do it anymore. And uh, but the main thing is, I, I it re- the last few times I came to Japan with the Sonics, and I came a couple times on my own. Whenever I go back to New York, I mean, it was just really killed me to go back. It was really killing me. I mean, I'd spend weeks doing nothing just because I was just bummed that I'd come back. So I kind of knew more and more that that's what I had to do. And I think maybe for a year I didn't do anything about it because I was kind of torn up about hurting them. I, I mean, obviously I know 
they're fine with this. Like, they didn't need me, obviously. You know, they, they've done it for like 25 years, you know. But they're my friends. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's I'm not good at stuff like that. So it took me a while to get to get the guts to... Because I wanted them to... I, I needed them to know it wasn't a music thing. Or, you know, it's just like I, I just... My life was going to change at that time whether I was playing with them or not, you know, because I was, it's just, it was time to, to do it. Yeah. So, so it took a while and, uh, to get the guts to do it. And then I, I kind of just dived in and left, left the States. Of all <laughs> them songs that you played with them, what was your favorite? In, in favorite, maybe f- on record was maybe, Okay, I know. No, like play at gigs. Play at gigs because that could mean old tunes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Favorite tune to play at gigs was. uh, It's kind of a tough one because there was a lot. I mean, it's easier probably. It's the one from Pedro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think maybe it's easier to think of the songs I didn't like to play live because there was only a couple. I didn't like them. It's just they weren't as fun to play live. That's Um, Jim from Japan. (laughs) Okay, favorite song to play live was. For a while, it was uh, New York Ghosts and Flowers. Ah. On that tour, on that tour, that was my favorite to play. After that, oh, I liked uh, I liked playing Pattern Recognition because um, that was that had some kick it. But I probably um, what old one? Old one, like from a uh, yeah. record before you were in the band. That would be, um, you know, actually. I, uh, I loved playing Total Trash, but I think we only did it once. Wow! I I can't. That's they're that's, doing it now. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Damn you! Because when I started getting a little bit of uh, what's the cojones or whatever, I, I sort of come on, Thurston, let's do it, let's do it. And of course, Steve wanted to do it, you know. And he's like, ah, I understand why Thurston would do, but um, I loved playing that song. I liked playing of the old songs. I really enjoyed playing. Uh, why am I blanking now? I I I I'm seeing my hands do it. Uh, I'm blanking on what it is. Uh, ah, uh, you know, uh, I, it might actually be. It, it is total trash. Was my favorite to play. I loved playing that one. Ah, White Cross, White Cross, ah. White Cross. Of course, I got to go ape shit on that one. What's your favorite one that you made with him recording? Recording wise, would be a sympathy for a, sympathy for a straw. Is it sympathy for the strawberry? The strawberry, yeah, the strawberry. Yeah, that one's great. <laughs> you know what strawberry? Is. Yeah. There's two. There's two Kim tunes that are my two favorites. What's it, the one on Murray Street? Bum, 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 bum. Maybe that's sympathy for a strawberry. Ah, dude, 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 ranch nurse and sympathy for the strawberry. Okay. Those are those are like were studio wise and playing wise and everything perfectly realized. I thought I thought they were just great. Oh, those were great. I really really was happy with those, especially dude ranch nurse. It is. It's it's dude ranch nurse. I think that's one spectacular. I think that track's great. Yeah. I, I like just the the whole concept of that track. You know, it's 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 much well, more SYR record. That's 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 an album with them. Yeah, you know, funny story about that one. About a year after it came out, Thurston and I went to Austin, Texas, with Equal Mori to play, and he had to go to the radio station. So I went to him, went with him, 
And as we walk in, they're playing this record, and they're sort of like, "Man, what's this?" And I was like, "Man, I know we always do this because, especially, especially our kind of record collecting crazy days, we were like the sick team of." I mean, they ended. Well, I stopped buying records. I mean, I'm, I think Thurston's not <laughs> as I think Thurston's not as much into it as he used to be. Okay, but uh, I, I completely stopped. But um, he still knows what's going on. Though. Yeah, he does. I, I kind of stopped paying attention too, and uh, yeah, and uh, we're like, man, I know that it'd be always the same thing. Man, I know this. I have, but it wouldn't be. I know this is. I have this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> man, I know I have this. <laughs> And we're listening for 10 minutes, and the DJ's looking at us like we're crazy. And we're thinking, you know, at least I was thinking, he's like, he's looking at me like that because he's like, how can you not know it? But he was right because it was SVR3. <laughs> we had no idea. <laughs> we had no idea. <laughs> no idea. No. Well, I don't really listen to records I play on. Yeah. You know, I don't. Yeah, so, I don't you know, so it was like a, you know, but that was funny. Uh, I, I'm really happy about the SVR4. The, Goodbye Twentieth Century. That was really, that was a really good thing to do. I think. I think that was a really good concept, and it was done well. And you know, a lot of these composers actually came in and played on the tracks themselves. You know, and tracks. You know, the pieces. And so, yeah, I think it was a really good thing. And I think a lot of the Sonic's younger audience, maybe, kind of like the library, maybe they check out these names. Sonic Library. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like maybe. Then these kids went and checked out, you know, John Cage or somebody like that, and the ball rolls from there. You know, you just you just keep because if you like one person and then you read about that person in context of a name you never seen before, you, you just check it out. Yeah, I got the uh, Patty Hearst, Patty Hearst, Patty Smith <laughs> horses records because Al Lanier was listed on the back and he was oh. in the Blue Oyster Cult. Oh. I didn't know who Patty yeah, Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but did, did but did you know? Did when did Patty Smith write lyrics for? Was it yeah. the second record? Yeah, yeah. maybe Ice Dog yeah. and Career and Career of Evil. She did on the third record. Mm, mm, mm. So, but I didn't know who P. Smith was. Ah, on the ah, I see right, right, right. Credits. Ah, His cult songs always had like four or five writers. Right, 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 Sam right. Perlman, yeah, yeah. One. Murray Krugman. Ah, so just the label guy would be honestly. Yeah, of course, of course. I just said peace. He told me it was his idea to turn "I'm on the lamb, but I ain't no sheep" into the red and the black. You know, you know that lick on the end. Just keep yeah. doing that. Yeah. Okay, you get the song. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah. Do you got future plans for music? I know you're uh, not my, doing it now. My future plan is to try it. To try. I mean, you know, I I wrote my whole next record after I did the last one. I wrote my whole next record. It's all written, and it's like it's like you know, like this orchestra with drums and piano, you know. And I, but like the thing is, a there's no way for me to record it because unlike some of the people I get to produce, I could never get that kind of money to make a record myself. <laughs> so that that record will probably never happen, you know. So mm, I think I'm just gonna need. I think I'm gonna take time to find out what it is I want to do. I think that's the next thing. You know, and uh, we'll see. I have ideas, but do you play around the pad? No, I rarely play alone. I almost never play. I get really uh, discouraged if I play. You know, I always want to just. You know, I have like this cheap nylon string guitar now. You know, I sold like when I left New York, I sold my instruments and everything. I sold all my stuff, and 
And so I had this cheap nylon guitar, and I'd play it now and then, but after two minutes, I just want to throw it away. So I'm just waiting, waiting for that, that to change, you know? Let's see. But, you know, I enjoyed, like, when the Red Crayola came here a few months ago. That was, that was fun, you know? It was, it, 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 you know, it still needs to be fun, but I think I, I just got to find whatever the, what the next, the fire is, you know? It's, I think I got to re, refine the fire, you know, Can and I don't want to do stuff if I don't got the if the fire ain't there. You yeah. know what I mean? You know what I Sleep mean? Sleepwalk. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's no reason to to make a record just because you can. You know, yeah. even though people probably think I just do that, but I don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, so I, I mean, I I think maybe and you're not listening to a lot of stuff now. No, I haven't had a stereo for a year, so I can't ask you who you like now. Well, I mean, I can listen. To, I have little speakers for my computer. Actually, you know, the funny thing is, I was listening at Stooges Box all last week. The uh, the <laughs> sessions, the sessions box. Fun apps. I don't really know anything new. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, I basically anything new by my friends I listen to, but like as for like new. So I couldn't music. ask you about the Japanese music scene. I don't really know about it. Tokyo scene. I don't really know about yeah. it. You know, I. I mean, I have old friends here who. I still listen to when they make a record. You know, I still listen to it. But as for new things, I really don't know. I'm trying to think if I. Know I can't it. ask you what their scene is like. I don't even know. I never go yeah. to show. I almost never go to shows here. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's. You couldn't tell me about Boris. <laughs> I know about them, but I don't know it. I really don't know it. I know. I know one record of theirs because they made a record with Mertzbau. And you know, he he might still listen to like like regularly, like Clockwork. So he made a record with them. So therefore, I heard that one, which I it was great. But uh, I I just don't know. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just don't know. It's funny. I want to thank you for being on the show. Thank you. And idea. Yeah. Next time I'm here, we'll do another one. <laughs> I'll talk less next time. No. <laughs> No, we probably covered some history. You don't have to redo. Yeah, I, I, yeah, we can talk about things. things yeah, I suppose you might have rekindled fire. I don't know. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna rekindle the fire of people wanting to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I better stay at home for a while now. <laughs> well, thanks you for being no, on board. No, it's all the other okay. that I got though. Oh, great. great. <laughs> And this was uh, July 27, 2007, Watt Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>